0: Hello friends, we are back with episode 142 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast, and thanks for being patient with us. We were off last week because yours truly um, was a little bit busy with a certain event that we'll get on to later on in the episode, but my name is Eric Nance, and I'm delighted that you're joining us from wherever you are around the world, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host who never met a model he couldn't validate, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today?
1: i'm doing well eric yes lots of lots of model validation work going on i'm very grateful for quarto and very excited to hear a little bit more about what took place at our farmer
0: last week you bet man we're gonna dive right into it and then as usual for this uh podcast we give a shout out to the weekly curator and um check notes here oh yeah it was a super busy week because i was a curator for this issue as well but uh i have some good news to share You've heard us mention in previous episodes that we've had somewhat of a more manual effort to get some of our used to be some automated versions of our pipeline to get back and running. Well, huge credit, huge kudos to Jonathan Carroll, who has created us a GitHub Action to help curate a lot of the links that we typically get through the various RSS feeds of those that have submitted their sites to our Weekly, as well as the new and updated packages on CRAN. So now I have, in essence, saved, well, John has done it. He saved us a bunch of time to manually put those in ourselves, or now we can go with a simple markdown file, copy the relevant links into our issue draft, and then eventually the release. So thank you, John, for making that GitHub action. And that's just one small step to us uh, slowly automating all the things that we can with our weekly. So with that, he, uh, that was my biggest tremendous help was that get of action. But as usual, it's never just me alone. We have tremendous help as well for our fellow Rwiki team members and contributors like you around the world. So let's dive right into it. And as Mikey mentioned, it was last week, the R and Pharma conference, which has now been around for, I believe, six years now. We've had a long history, but this is also, I believe, our third year in a virtual event where we went virtual ever since the pandemic, but we have had a massive turnout as a result. For those that maybe couldn't come in person, they've been able to connect on virtual. And we had over 2,000 registered for this conference. That's a mind-boggling number. And then each day we had upwards of 400 and 500 attending live. So it was really excellent turnout. And not just the conference talks that make this such a great event, We have, in my humble opinion, some of the best workshops you will ever find available for free, no less, um, for our registered participants. One of those workshops was led by a frequent contributor to R Weekly, Nicola Rennie, who led us through a very awesome two-hour workshop as an introduction to machine learning with tidy models. We've talked about tidy models quite a bit on our weekly uh, in episodes in the past, and this con- this workshop was a great kind of practical walkthrough of how this how the attendees can get started with tidy models, some of the fundamental concepts of machine learning, and practical examples with live coding, nonetheless. I had the great pleasure of being a TA for this workshop, and as I said, the the turnout was massive for this one as well. I think we had. Probably 300 people on at, at a given point. And the questions came fast and furious, as they say, as Nicole is really diving into the material. So I was able to surface some of those to her. But even in the two hour workshop, there is no way that she could address all of them live. So what Nicole has done after this workshop was to put together a very comprehensive blog post that covers some of the additional questions and issues that she couldn't address live during the workshop. And that's what we're going to give you a summary about here on this segment. So the blog post is kind of broken down into three or four different sections that pertain to some of the workflow that she had in the slides of the workshop, which we'll have linked to in the show notes for this episode. But there were some great questions around pre-processing because there's so many different ways to tackle that. And there was questions about, hey, how do you figure out the best proportion to use for your training and test set splits? That's a very important concept as you think about getting your models up and running. And Nicola in this blog post mentions that typically you might see a 75 to 25 split or an 80-20 split, but you have to be careful when your data is smaller. Maybe if you only have a few couple hundred observations or so, you might want to do more of a 50-50 split so it does depend on the context of your data but this audience is really engaged with asking a lot of these fundamental questions that we often encounter especially as we're new to machine learning workflows other uh, questions that she addressed including how does one account for say class imbalance as you're doing your testing and training split and there are some handy ways in tidy models to supplement a strata argument so that you could have some more balance amongst these classes. And then also, she walked us through a couple of pre-processing routines, such as creating indicator or dummy variables out of categorical predictors, as well as normalizing your quantitative or numeric predictors to have a standard normal type mean and standard deviation. And there were questions about, hey, how can we see the result of that? So there are some handy functions in tidy models to extract the data frame as a result of these steps in your recipe for pre-processing, So you can inspect that yourself and kind of see how things are going. Then as Nicola dived into the machine learning modeling aspect of this, one of the types of models that she touched on that got a lot of uh, great attention was lasso regression which is you can think of it as a slightly more optimized version of logistic regression and she talked about some of the advantages that one might have with lasso regression as opposed to say the typical logistic regression such as having in essence an auto variable selection baked in inside because it incorporates a parameter lambda which is kind of like a penalty parameter to tease out any predictors that honestly are not adding a lot of predictive value to your outcome of interest. So it's got something built in for that and it tries to account for overfitting as a result. Whereas if you're on a typical logistic regression, the onus is still on you to help figure out how do you prune out the various I'll call noise predictors from the ones that are actually being helpful in predicting your response. So Nicola has some great examples in the slides, as well as the GitHub repo, where she walks through how to fit a LASSO regression model with the datasets that we used uh, throughout the workshop. And there are also good questions about, well, maybe LASSO is gonna give you this subset of variables that it deems important enough. Are there ways to measure more accurate variability around variable importance? And that's where Nicola has some great links to other packages functions such as like the vip package to help tease out additional variable importance metrics so that's a great package to look at especially as you're diving into an issue of trying to tease out the important variables from the rest in these different machine learning workflows and then there are also additional great uh questions that she covers in the blog post such as even if you're new to the ideas of say the confusion matrix that you might see, where you have as a result of the truth versus the predicted values of outcomes, to see just where the accuracy lies and being able to read that two by two matrix is a fundamental pillar as you think about benchmarking these type of machine learning results. And then also there were great questions about can the tidy models ecosystem be used for other types of model engines such as XGBoost, which of course is, yes, you certainly can. And also, could this be used for deep learning as well? And yes, there are definitely ways to leverage tidy models with deep learning. And then also some great links to next steps as you want to continue your learning journey with tidy models. So she's got a set of great links such as blog posts from Julia Silgey, who's, of course, on the Tidy Models team over at Posit, amongst many other resources linked throughout throughout the blog post. So again, the workshop was excellent. Uh, The recording will be out soon-ish. Yours truly is actually the editor of that said workshop, so I've got to get that recording out there. But once it's out there, we'll certainly let you all know. But at least you can kind of get your appetite wet, so to speak, by looking at Nicola's slides and this blog post, because it is an excellent way to jumpstart your machine learning journey with tidy models in R. As on behalf of kind of the R Pharma Organizing Committee, thank you, Nicola, for giving this workshop. We had tremendous fun having you. Yes, this was a fantastic uh, blog post to
1: accompany, you know, the set of slides and the presentation that Nicola had presented. And I, I always sincerely appreciate when, you know, there is a, a demonstration or or something that's live that gets a lot of questions and feedback and the presenter takes the time to memorialize those questions and the answers that they, they gave because otherwise that that knowledge would be lost and I think a lot of that knowledge is really important because often the questions that, that other folks have on the on the flyer that sort of the same questions that we would have as well at the end of a, a presentation so some super relatable content in here how do you read a confusion matrix right it's always tricky to remember if the actual values are, are on the vertical axis of the matrix or the horizontal axis so that was great and, and we always think about tidy models for machine learning but Nicola does point out and reminds us that it can also fit a neural networks if you want it to. I'm almost always supplying a strata argument when doing bootstrap resampling with our sample as well, uh, because I never I don't know about you, Eric, but I I never have well-balanced classes in my data.
0: Never happens. (laughs) The real world just is too real on that case. Yep
1: absolutely and there there are lots of arguments for and against i think upsampling and and downsampling so that that strata argument when you're doing bootstrap resampling i think is is super helpful and just makes makes my life way easier i we had a project recently where our client had developed a vanilla logistic regression model um, but wanted to see if it could be improved and and parsnip just makes it so easy by just changing the algorithm that we supply after you know you specify a logistic reg um, you just specify change the, the algorithm that you supply to the set engine function, you know, between GLM or, or Glimnet or Keras. Um, and you can test out all of these other different types of logistic regression-ish models really, really quickly without having to, to rewrite a bunch of the code. Um, we ended up developing a classification model using Glimnet, um, which uses ElasticNet, which is, is like a way to mix lasso and ridge regression to sort of ensure that the independent variables and coefficients in your model are as meaningful as possible. As you mentioned, Eric you did a great job of of walking us through that. And it's it's interesting that there was a lot of interest in uh, you know Lasso and Ridge regression, as well as Elastic Net uh, regression. Following the presentation, I, I think that there are some antiquated, perhaps, ways of, of doing feature selection and variable importance uh, pr- prior to the, the Tidy Models ecosystem. And now, you know, with the, the advent of, of, of Glimnet and all these different algorithms that we have, as well as the VIP package for variable importance, I think we have a, a lot more tools to be able to, to help us um, curate our models in, in terms of the independent variables that, that we are using and, and putting some, some context and some reasoning behind why we're using those independent variables. So fantastic write-up as, as always by Nicole. I really appreciate uh, this sort of format of a question-answer blog post. I, I think it does a lot, of, a lot of service to those of us who are, are trying to upskill our machine learning game within the R ecosystem
0: yeah and certainly if you weren't able to attend the workshop live the slides are are excellent guess what Quarto slides for the win again (laughs) Quarto is coming to rescue for many things here Um, but she's got yeah excellent exercises that you can practice with yourself the solutions are all on the github repo so it is a great great accessible onboarding to the vast capabilities that tidy models has and and there's certainly no way that Nicola could address everything that Tidy Models offers. But I feel like this is going to give you a glimpse into every part of the very key steps in the Tidy Models ecosystem. So excellent workshop. And again, I can't wait to put that recording out there because I had a heck of a lot of fun TA in that thing.
1: Absolutely. Not only are the slides out there, but the GitHub repository with all the materials is, is open source public uh, all the time, which is awesome as well.
0: Well, anytime you get Mike and I together on any episode of our weekly highlights or any other adventure, we're going to talk about Shiny one way or another. So, we got a couple additional highlights to talk about there covering the Shiny ecosystem. And one of these is a very exciting announcement. We kind of got wind of this at the recent PositConf, but um, this blog post by Nick Strayer, who is a uh, Shiny uh, engineer on the Shiny team, makes this official that the Shiny UI editor is now out of alpha and ready, ready for use. So if you're not familiar with the Shiny UI editor, this is something that has been asked about for years in the Shiny community of having a a kind of a WYSIWYG, uh, drag-and-drop style of actually designing the layout of your Shiny user interface. It has been out for over a year. In fact, it was last year that it became released or announced as an alpha release at last year's PositConf. But there has been a bunch of development that's happened in between then and now. And this blog post talks a little bit about that journey so far and some of the new features and new bug fixes that make this ready for this, you know, in the wild, in production type level is some really nice usability enhancements such as if you are changing say the name of an output or an input in your ui editor the actual editor itself the underlying app.r or shiny script that's creating under the hood is going to be synced in real time as you update these labels which is a huge time saver and obviously a very difficult issue to solve like there's a lot of javascript magic Happening in this interface, and I can't pretend to understand all of it, but now there's perfect syncing between the UI editor, cosmetic changes you make in terms of output names or input names, and the underlying uh, Shiny script that it's producing for you that you can actually run once you're finished with your designing. There is also new support for key functions from BS Lib. We've been big fans of BS Lib. We used it in our workshop a couple months ago where you can have a very streamlined, intuitive user interface. Carson Seaver's done a tremendous job with Lib, but now the Shiny UI editor does have support for a good portion of the UI functions that are coming from BS Lib. In fact, after Nick Strayer's talk at this year's PositConf, where he kind of also revealed that Shiny UI Editor was, not, was, was coming out of alpha, I couldn't resist. I had to take it for a spin because it's been over a year since I tried it. And I noticed that, hey, wait a second. What if I take one of Carson's uh, kind of dashboard examples that he has on the BS Wood pa- package down site and try to use Shiny UI Editor with it? And I noticed there were a couple issues with some of the functions not quite working. And so, just like anything in open source, I thought, you know what? It's fresh in Nick's mind. Let's go ahead and submit an issue for it. So, I actually did end up filing an issue to support the nav panel uh, function within the page navbar template that um, the Shiny UI editor could help produce. So, I gave a simple, reproducible example um, that was literally straight from the uh bs web package down site with a couple cosmetic tweaks to make it fit with shiny ui editor and sure enough now it is supported in this release so credit to nick for turning that around so quickly i know there was a lot of work to make that happen but now i that was like one of the things that was holding me back of using this to actually start my ui design phase of my shiny apps i really want to use the ui editor to make that happen in those initial stages where I'm meeting with a team and saying hey would you like your plot output here would you like your table here and being able to have that drag and drop interface in those real-time meetings that shiny ui editor can bring me that's just icing on the cake that now I can take advantage of more web components in the ui editor other great enhancements including hey Maybe you're using an alternative development environment such as VS Code for your Shiny app development. Guess what? The Shiny UI editor has a VS Code extension. So whether you're using our Studio IDE or VS Code, you're going to have first-class support for the UI editor. So that is terrific to see as well. And then also lots of bug fixes for optimizations and stability. So I think you're going to have a great time with this. The journey's not over by any means. There's still a lot of uh, things on the roadmap that Nick wants to put into upcoming releases of the Shiny UI editor, but certainly this is a first-class tool for those that want to get that that whiteboarding-type experience from these other tools that are in off-the-shelf software, such as Figma or others. This is a very nice, shiny way of doing it, in your confines of your favorite statistical programming language so i'm here for it i can't wait to put this in more practice later on this is this is
1: pretty incredible eric and th- this blog post is probably the first time that i've like really, actually dug into the uh, shiny UI editor. You know, I've seen the the clips on social media and, and things like that, and I know we've probably mentioned it once or twice before uh, on the podcast, but haven't seriously dove into uh, all of its capabilities up until now, and it's it's pretty incredible, right? You can obviously install it locally, but there is also a, a website that you can go to. It's sort of like the package down, I, I guess, uh, version of it. It's rstudio.github.io slash shiny UI editor. Um, There's some fantastic resources on that website. There's a great getting started page that shows you how to leverage this uh, locally within your RStudio or VS Code environment uh, using the Shiny UI editor package. There is also a live demo uh, page on uh, on that website that allows you to really do all of this live in the browser. Uh, without needing to install any packages. And then there is a button uh, within that UI that allows you to just get all of the code that you can copy and paste into your local app.r script. It's it's absolutely incredible. You know, I I see so many opportunities to leverage this tool. You know, especially with our clients, or even within our own internal teams, for for doing that wireframing and that whiteboarding uh, at the outset of a project, so that we're sort of all on the same page of how this thing is going to look. At the at the end, right? What the deliverable is sort of going to to look like from a structural perspective, and I think that's that's really important, Eric. As you and I know, um, I, before we had some of these these wireframing capabilities, or, or maybe even before I I knew what wireframing was. You know, sometimes we would go away for for a couple of weeks and then then work on some UI layout and, and bring it back to the client, and they would uh, say, you know, no, that's not what we had in mind at all. Like, let's change it up completely, and then we have to sort of start again from scratch. So I I think that if nothing else, you know, besides trying to use this to to actually develop your app, I I think it can be a, a phenomenal whiteboarding tool and wireframing tool that, you know, should only take you a handful of minutes to get up and running with and to get something on the page that you can show to the end audience or the key stakeholders of the folks that you envision are going to be the ones who are using your app. Um, Just a phenomenal set of resources here. Really appreciate all of Nick's work and and everyone else on the team who contributed to this, not only package, but this entire project. Um, There's a how-tos page on the website as well that walks through a, a ton of great information there's an faqs page that answers a lot of questions that i know i was having and i'm sure other folks who might be interested in in this package might be having um, as well or issues that you may run into as you uh, start to get your hands dirty with shiny ui editor and uh, just really really exciting time to be a shiny developer I think. So this is a, an awesome compliment to the tools that, that we have currently available as Shiny developers, and, and I can't wait to uh, hit the ground running with it. I, I know that um, there's some upcoming features uh, that include uh, exciting components like adding uh, libs function sidebar layout and uh, the, the new accordion function from bslib as well, which is definitely a favorite of, of ours, Eric.
0: Yeah, in fact, those are very fundamental parts of uh, David Grangin and Maya Gans' workshop that we were TAing at, at PositConf on these additional components that can really just make that UX so much nicer. But um, now that the UI Editor does support at least a core set of what I'm trying to accomplish in some of my web Power dashboards, I do have a project where we are resurrecting an older Shiny app that was made about three or four years ago that honestly was not going to win any UX of design awards because we, it wasn't meant for us on our stat team. It was meant for stakeholders to kind of get a quick ballpark estimate of various design trade-offs for, for a trial. But now with this, I can meet some of the, the stakeholders that we know this app is going to be used with and sit down with them in a room and instead of like you said mike i've been there before i thought i had a great idea for a ux and ui design and i i get in front of them, they're like they pick it apart it's almost like i had to literally scrap crumple up all that paper i did all that time and then put it in the code and then go back from scratch now we can just move around and say oh you like it here you like it here you want this tab here you want this input here Then I can get the code back out of it. Like you said, there's a little button to get your code back if you're doing this on the main website or if you're in your IDE already. And then I can just put in the real, quote unquote, real data or the real, you know, names of inputs after that. But it's all synced up. That's even better. I can keep using this as I develop. As now it gets only used at the beginning, I could use this for out. And that is just amazing stuff, man. That is just amazing. So Nick, I know you've done tremendous work if you're listening to this. We appreciate it immensely and certainly we hope for continued success on where Shiny UI Editor can take us.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nick. And uh, resurrecting an old Shiny app sounds, sounds very appropriate for, for Halloween today. It sounds, sounds pretty spooky, Eric. Best of luck.
0: Our last highlight is definitely trying to definitely not make anything scary out of a very fundamental component that we often deal with in our Shiny applications, and that's the idea of modularizing your code. And typically, Mike, you and I, we are big proponents of the built-in capability for Shiny modules, and that definitely gets us quite far. But there is a slightly new take on that, and it is from the esteemed John Kuhn, who is, of course... Uh, an author of many of the packages that Mike and I use in our Shiny apps. Of course, we never turn out an opportunity to shout out eCharts for R, as where John originated that package amongst many others. But this uh, last highlight is a newly f- freshly released uh, package on GitHub that John has authored called Component. This is a somewhat reimagination of Shiny modules, but John is trying to address a few. A few um, ideas here that, admittedly, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around, but I think I can relate to at least one or two of these. But especially if you have a module where you're invoking some custom JavaScript inside, which, again, I'm seeing more and more of in my daily work, there can be some headaches when you have to deal with namespacing issues in that JavaScript snippet or you know, maybe a, an extensive JavaScript file and maybe your CSS on top of that to make sure that you're getting the proper namespace associated with, say, the inputs or the style elements that you're incorporating into that module. So apparently Component is trying to address that by generating scoped and namespace CSS and JavaScript code so you don't have to worry about that that integration yourself like I've had to do in the past. And it's also taking inspiration from Vue, which is a very popular front end and back end uh, javascript development uh, template framework mindset in fact i still remember it was about three years ago at our when Paza was running the uh, shiny contest submissions that there was a terrific app that was submitted by uh, herman sontrap and kent russell that used Vue view to make this movie viewer kind of app app dashboard it was so awesome i had them on for the shiny developer series because it was so innovative but apparently, uh, Component is trying to take some inspiration from Vue as it generates these, again, Component as in the name of the package, but to be able to incorporate it into your Shiny in your shiny apps. So, there is a bit of setup work to do, but it is definitely best suited for an app as a package. So, you know, Mike and I are big fans of Golem, and of course, uh, John has his own kind of minimal, I will say, Golem-like framework called Leprechaun that could also fit in nicely here so if you're in the package mindset component is going to fit right in it's going to add some custom ROxygen oxygen type syntax because it's actually setting up a new documentation type called component and then once you get something bootstrap you're going to get basically three sets or I should say four sets of code that you can populate one about the custom JavaScript one about the custom CSS And then your UI and server components that would be more of the native R code. But it's going to be all in one place. And then as you iterate over these called test functions that are in this script that it generates for you, it will use the SAS package. No, not that SAS. The other SAS, one with two S's at the end, to help compile these into R scripts that will look like something you would write but they're actually machine generated, so to speak. So I'm still wrapping my head around that piece of it, but it does look like a, kind of like a similar thing where if you have a CSS file and you're using those SAS type variables, you can compile that CSS into a more native CSS type file. Again, I'm wrapping my head around this, but he does have a couple examples in the readme of the package where it looks at say an alternative layout for saying a button click counter example and that kind of gets you up and running with how you might do a custom component i.e module in this framework so this is very early days this is literally hot off the, the the presses so to speak on github but i'll be watching this pretty closely to see if the next time i have a shiny module of its own custom css or javascript needs maybe component could get me you know that that great experience of a shiny module with these additional um, integrations built right in. So we'll see what happens. It's still early, but I'll be watching this space quite closely.
1: Me too, Eric. You know, I'm always interested in in packages that that sort of take a Roxygen, you know, tag sort of approach to developing some new functionality. And it's 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 these decorators, I think that that. Uh, encompass a lot of the power of what John is trying trying to do here. And that, that's super interesting to me. You know, we have, oh man, this is like story time almost. Yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> we, have, we have some clients who will not be named who do a lot of chat GPTing for their shiny work and copy and paste like JavaScript code, that they just stick at the top of their apps like in a string and then they invoke it with the tags script uh function from shiny to get that code to run and they don't really they'll admittedly say you know i don't really know how or why this works but this is what chat gpt told me to do and uh it seems to be working for the most part. Maybe there's a couple instances, combinations of inputs that get selected that it doesn't work and they don't really understand why. Um, But that's just sort of a a long story to to say that uh, I think folks should, should try to take a little bit more Prior understanding in the code that they are developing, because at the end of the day, your, your deliverable is important. And and what I think John has has done here is actually make it a little easier for us. You know, I don't know what the future holds for this, but I'm certainly really really excited about it. Um, and have a way for us to sort of include these JavaScript components uh, in a more sensible way that fits into our app's architecture and structure. Right, everything is sort of baked right into the module. Uh, the JavaScript code is is you know is is defined in a particular place, and it's not you know invoked strangely. Sort of using that that. Tags, uh, script functionality. I think that's that's a little hokey. Um, so you know, I, I'm very appreciative of, of what John has put together. I'm very excited to to try it out. Like you said, this is hot off the press. I, I think. You know we're seeing more and more use cases as i know you are as well eric of, of just trying to push the boundaries of what shiny can do and leverage you know custom css uh custom javascript to you know add the, these new components or, or to create some functionality that that maybe is difficult to do or, or potentially impossible to do with just base shiny although a lot of times, you know, some of that that custom JavaScript that they'll chat GPT. I'm like, hey, you could just use an, an update function or, or something like that to accomplish the same exact behavior so but before you go chat gpting for javascript make sure that it doesn't exist in shiny but now at this point point i'm rambling uh i'm very excited to see what uh component can offer us for those use cases where we do need to incorporate sort of this custom javascript to create you know maybe this this complex widget or this complex functionality that we can't get just out of the box in in shiny or within some of the tangential shiny packages as well so uh Thanks to John for putting this together. Um, great documentation here thus far, and I'm excited to see where it leads.
0: Yeah, it does make me think of some apps I made a while back where I was having this namespace nightmare as I was trying to invoke some custom JavaScript to change, I think, some XPath or something in an SVG snippet as part of this body kind of visualizer app where we were showing uh, like severity of a disease on certain body parts. In fact, this is something that Maya Gans also was kind of doing in parallel when it was referenced in um, Garrick Aiden-Booty's JavaScript for Shiny Users workshop um, that was a few years ago. But I remember having a heck of a time with a module and trying to connect these different namespace and JavaScript snippets. So I may resurrect that just to see if component could have been used to address that. Because that's honestly the best way I've learned when I see something that's brand new like this. I'm trying to think, Okay, well, where did I have in the past that I I banged my head against these issues? And I think I may have found it. So if I get get infinite time, I may try that before the end of the year to see what component has. But, uh, yeah, knowing John's pedigree, I'm sure this is going to there's a there's definitely use cases that he has in mind for it. And I can't wait to to hear more about what his plans are, if he ever wants to share more about that. John, you know how to find us, wink, wink. Um, but <laughs> certainly it certainly looks like a very innovative package and I um, can't wait to try it out myself. All right, well, there's a lot of things to try out, so to speak, as you look at a, a, each our Weekly issue and this issue is no exception. So we got a tremendous assortment of great blog posts, tutorials, and um, other use cases of R in the real world, as they say. And also a boatload of additional packages that have been updated. But we're going to take a couple of minutes here to talk about our additional finds here. And yes, you heard me mention the R Pharma Conference. And one thing we tried to do this year, in addition to the talks that happened live during the three-day event last week and the workshops that happened the week prior, we had some speakers that weren't able to attend or give the talk live, but they were more than happy to send us pre-recorded talks. And so throughout the three day event in the hours that we were not live, we actually premiered a bunch of great talks throughout the days on our our farming YouTube channel. And there's a couple of them here in the videos and podcast section that I think are definitely worth a watch, especially if you're in this space. One of which is um, authored by James Kim, who talks about there's definitely a change happening in the role from, say, more programming side of a statistician and also the research side of a statistician. The lines are getting blurred, folks, and it is a new age with the advent of open source, the advent of R in life sciences. So that's a really interesting talk to look at in terms of the skill set that is becoming more commonplace to being an effective statistician and statistical programmer in, in the life sciences space. And then also a great talk about test coverage in your Shiny apps. That's from Martin Frigard, who is um, uh, director at Atorus Research. He actually gave a workshop as well, but this uh, video on demand that we have linked to in the our weekly issue is a great walkthrough on his, his uh, development philosophy around testing his Shiny apps. So well worth a watch, especially if you're into you know comprehensive and production Shiny development.
1: Oh, that's a great find, Eric. I found a blog
0: from Luke Pembleton called
1: A Worthy Collection of Short R Commands and Tricks. They are fairly data visualization focused. Uh, One of the first tricks is how to have sort of a small subplot within a larger ggplot, which I think is just a a great use case for highlighting a particular portion uh, of a plot uh, to to really showcase um, that particular portion of the data to your end users um, to get them to focus on a portion of that plot. I think it's it's really, really cool, and it's nice to have uh, that particular code to be able to do that right here in a blog post for us so we don't have to try to hand roll it. Ourselves, I know there's so many ggplot things I feel like I come across uh, that I have to sort of try to hand roll myself because I can't find great documentation on on how to do this thing that I'm trying to uh, accomplish. But uh, I'm glad that Luke has put this down on paper here. There's some additional things like uh, linking colors to plot titles instead of having a legend. That's something I, I know Albert Rapp preaches quite heavily as well. So, this is a great compliment to his blog post, uh, also. And a lot of really cool little tidbits and, and snippets in here if you are a data visualization developer uh, who finds yourself you know, doing sort of some of the same theming or, or, or styling or, or conceptual data visualization uh, concepts within your projects uh, from, from one project to the next. So, definitely one I would check out for all the, the data viz heads out there
0: yeah that was a great collection of tips and i had a lot of fun reading through that and i've been down the gg plot hacking battles so to speak trying to get custom components either in the same plot or next to each other and yeah there's so many different ways to address that but yeah it was a great a great short and, and very uh, innovative uh, treatment of that of that same issue um that we often encounter and then also i'll put a plug Every R issue also has some fun little posts that we often find on social media outlets. George Stagg, the author of WebR, has some uh, teases about some really, really big performance enhancements coming to WebR. So stay tuned, folks. This is going to be great. I had a little preview of it earlier, so that's why I'm doing my little teasing voice here, but it, it will be awesome. So <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff in this issue, if you didn't know already. And We value your feedback, your contributions to R Weekly. We want to keep this train rolling and some of the best ways you can help. Again, we are looking for curators to join our team. And also, for those of you out there who have poll requests about new resources or blog posts, please send them our way. We'll be glad to get them into the upcoming issue draft. Everything's at rweekly.org. You'll find links to this issue as well as the whole back catalog of issues as well as back catalog this very podcast. So if you're new to the show, there's a lot of great uh, talk that Mike and I have had over the years. Um, we reminisce. It's been over two years since he and I have been doing this together, so it's flown by. Um, but in terms of the podcast itself, one of the best things you can do is just sharing the word that our weekly is here, and we'd love to share it with your friends in data science and getting started with their R journeys or if they've been in R for as many years as yours truly, it doesn't matter. There's always something new to learn. So sharing the, the podcast is a, a great way to help with us as well as sending us a little fun boost. If you have one of those modern podcast apps like Podverse, Fountain, cast matic you name it, there, there's a whole bunch out there. But if you want to keep your old podcast app, we don't judge. There's also fun ways to boost us on the podcast index itself, which we'll have linked to in the show notes. And also you can get in touch with us with the contact form that's in uh, each episode uh, show notes. It's right at the bottom there. And you can get in touch with us on social media. I am predominantly on Macedon these days. I am at our podcast at podcastindex.social, easy for me to say. Somewhat on that X thing still. If you really need to find me there, you can find me there. And I also cross post all the episodes on LinkedIn as well. And Mike, where can the listeners find you?
1: Probably best on Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. I don't hardly see any R stats or data science content on on the X thing these days in my feed. It's it's quite sad, but uh, there is great R stats and data science content in my Mastodon feed. So I'm grateful for that.
0: And speaking of grateful, I meant to say this in the kind of our intro uh, segment, but another reason R pharma was such a success is in the uh, quote-unquote entertainment we have planned for the conference breaks. We were able to get in touch with John Harmon, who, of course, is helping run Tidy Tuesday, and he actually gave us a platform to share a patient-centric data set, it was simulated, of course, but a great way to leverage Tidy Tuesday to get our participants and everyone around the world to put their visualization skills to the test. We have a fun data set that a, a good friend... On the organizing committee, Jenna Reps helped create for us. So thank you, John, for letting us have a tidy Tuesday for a week for the life sciences space. That was super awesome. Well, we've rambled enough. I think we're going to close up shop here. But um, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And we'll be back with another edition of our weekly highlights, hopefully in no real spooky moments, next week.